With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Viewpoint Alabama, a public affairs program from the Alabama Radio Network about the people, places, and events that impact our state. This is Viewpoint Alabama. I'm JT, your host. Joining us now from our podcast with the iHeartRadio app, Tech Stuff Podcast, Jonathan Strickland, the host. Jonathan, good to have you back in. So I'm kind of on board with this idea here. Delivery drones uh, sooner in reality for all of us than we think? Well, I think, JT, that it might be sooner for at least some of us because Wing, which is a a company that's under Alphabet, that's the parent company for Google, just got uh, FAA approval in the form of air carrier certification for drone delivery. And it's the first company to do that in the United States. And this is a a big deal because while the tech has been there for a while, this is showing that now the regulations and law have caught up to the technology. Well, that was my next question. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. All of a sudden, these things are going to be on every shelf in Walmarts and Targets, and people are going to be buying them and trying to deliver car keys back to their kids who forgot them. And I mean, is it going to be traffic control city up there? And how much of a problem will this create for airplanes and other, you know, FAA issues? See, now that's a great question because uh, when you first hear it, you think, does this mean it's going to be free game and the clouds will (laughs) will part and all we'll see is a dark surface of drones flying overhead? But no, this is only going to be for uh, certified carriers. So it's going to be big companies that make these agreements that have to meet these regulations. Uh, So we're not going to get our hands on them. I mean, we're not legally going to get our hands on them. I'm sure there's going to be some Weisenheimers out there with uh, butterfly nets trying to catch themselves a drone. But these are going to be with companies like Amazon and that sort of thing, uh, dropping them off. Now, Now that this approval has come through, I'm pretty sure we're going to see it uh, spread out fairly quickly. Right now, it's just going to be in a couple of markets in Virginia. But assuming there are no big hiccups, I think we're going to see this over the next maybe two years roll out throughout the country. All right. Something pretty cool here. Elon Musk is uh, now predicting that robo-taxis, what, going to be on the roads here in the next uh, few years? And Next year is what he's saying. Mm. So. Now, all right, we have to keep this in mind, JT, that Elon Musk has this habit of making really, really big predictions that don't come true. Uh, he's done this a few right. times because he, he originally suggested that we would have uh, almost all driverless cars would be on the road by 2018. And essentially no one would be driving their own car. That clearly did not happen. But now he's saying that the technology is there where we're going to see driverless car taxi services in numerous cities by 2020. And a lot of other analysts say that seems like it's really, really aggressive and optimistic. We're not likely to see that, see that simply because the technology isn't mature enough. Uh, it's good for your average situations. But, JT, let me ask you this. When was the last time you went on a drive and it was just average the entire time? <laughs> Never. Yeah, it's been a long, long right. time, it, right? Exactly. And that's the problem is that these machines, they're great 
if everyone's obeying the rules, if uh, there aren't any crazy weather patterns, if no animals are running across the street. Right. But we all know that's not reality. So that there's still a long way to go with this. All right. Very good. Uh, yeah, take your time on those things. They, they freak me out. Turning the cars over to the computers. I, I'm still kind of weirded out about all that. Talking with Jonathan Strickland, uh, the host of the Tech Stuff podcast on iHeartRadio. The Hawks have been hacked. What's happening in Atlanta? Man, I, it's first of all, it's warm. No, but second of all, this is this is a terrible story in in multiple ways. So, yeah, a, a cybersecurity researcher discovered that there was some malicious code on the store for the Atlanta Hawks site. So the official store, you would go there, you'd go to purchase like a hat or a jersey or something, and they found that people's names, their addresses, their credit card numbers, uh, all this sort of stuff was getting logged and being sent to uh, areas on the dark web known to be run by hackers who are buying and selling information. Mm-hmm. And the the really bad part of this is that in the past – We've seen people make up fake websites that look like an official store, but if you're careful, you can see the difference, and you can say, oh, this is a trick. I'm not going to fall for it, but this isn't that same. This is like a skimmer on a credit card reader. It's part of the official store, which means to you, everything looks like it's on the up and up, and it's still a problem, and to me, this is a, a huge red flag and a big problem for our confidence in using the internet to purchase stuff. If it can happen to something as big as a merchandise store for a major sports franchise, that's a, that's a huge concern. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, this has been a monstrous story, no doubt about it, with the damage that's been done to the Notre Dame Cathedral. Now, how does technology work into all of this? Tell us about a 2015 project that could help in the restoration. Yeah, so this is fascinating. You know, I was just at Notre Dame just uh, like two weeks ago. So I was there and I was just marveling at the architecture. Yeah, I went on a trip to to Paris with my wife and we were just in awe. And then we were in tears watching the the fire, obviously. It was just so dramatic and so Mm -hmm. it was such a huge impact because we had just been there. But then I learned about this this project. Uh, Andrew Tallon, who passed away late last year, he was an art professor at Vassar. And he partnered with a guy named Paul Blair from Columbia. They went out and they started doing laser range measurements of various important locations. And Notre Dame was chief among them. And the way this works, it's just like kind of a laser range finder. You have a laser mounted on a tripod and it scans an area and it measures the time it takes for the laser to go out, hit an object, and then for some of that light to bounce back to the laser. And because it's traveling at the speed of light, you get these incredibly precise measurements. So wow. they set up 50 scans. They, they scanned the, the cathedral in 50 different locations. They generated a billion points of data. So imagine you have a piece of software on a computer, Mm -hmm. and it's taking every single one of these billion points, and it's laying it out until you get a full digital three-dimensional representation of the structure. So there is an almost perfect digital replica of Notre Dame Cathedral that exists on a terabyte worth of hard drive space. That is incredible. And it could end up... Yeah, it could it could be like the blueprint 
for restoration right, work. Right, right. And the numbers have already exceeded a billion dollars as far as donations go now to help rebuild. I would imagine you could rebuild that entire structure for that kind of money. But uh, And they've also got a contest going now with the uh, largest and most popular and most talented architects around the world to submit their plans. And maybe this will be a part of that. Absolutely. I mean, you could imagine that they're, having your name attached to something with the historic uh, presence of yeah. Notre Dame is, yeah. I mean, I mean, you would be immortalized, right? You would right. be known as the person who restored her to her former glory. And it's, it's worth remembering that the cathedral itself was built uh, in lots of different stages over centuries. I mean, the oldest parts of the cathedral date back to the 12th century, mm-hmm. but there's been additions. The spire, which was tragically, you know, collapsed in the middle of that fire, that was added, I believe, in the 19th century. So, right. Uh, this is an opportunity to restore it. And fortunately, in, in the grand scheme of things, because of the renovation work that was going on in the cathedral, a lot of the more valuable pieces had been removed right. for the renovation right. work. So they, were, they survived as well. Some good news there. We're talking with Jonathan Strickland, Tech Stuff Podcast. This is kind of interesting here. Uh, I'm not much of a gamer, but I'll tell you, I've got friends there, and my son Michael loves gaming and video game streaming and the whole thing here. So let's talk about Google Stadia. What is this all about? So Google announced at the Game Developers Conference this Stadia platform, and the idea is that Google will use the incredibly powerful computers they have in their various data centers all around the world to run the actual games. And we're talking AAA title, 4K resolution games, like the the stuff you would need a really seriously powerful gaming computer to run at home. They'll run it on on their machines, And then you can access the games just through a Google Chrome browser. So you have your little dinky tablet or your laptop or desktop or even a uh, Chromecast-enabled television. You connect to the service, and then you can play those games without having to invest the $5,000 to buy a a state-of-the-art gaming rig. And you can still run it at those settings, assuming that you're – you know, your, your computer can run at that resolution. You can run at those high settings, and you're, you're just doing it off the Internet. And this is an idea that has been floated for a while. There was a service called OnLive for a while. It actually had a, a dedicated console that you right, would buy. Right, right. But it, di- it didn't work out. Uh, Sony bought them and then shut it down, and so that, that service is no more. But Google's approach is you don't buy a console. You don't need to buy any other type of equipment. If you have a computer and you have a broadband internet connection, you're good to go. You're so, ready to go, yeah. I mean, what, yeah. Is, what is this doing for Xbox and PlayStation? I mean, still applications where people will buy those things, or is this the wave of the future and those things are going to be dinosaurs? I think that you're going to see Sony and Microsoft both come out with similar services. I think it's absolutely going to have to happen because the way Google has put this together is like a big picture. Like they they served it up like a banquet. It wasn't just you get to play games. They also laid out the case for developers can use Google's systems to develop their games and just have access to all of that computing power. So imagine that you are you have this big idea for a game, but you just you just can't quite make it real because you don't have the processing power to do it or you're worried that you won't have an audience because there won't be enough people who have a killer gaming rig who can play it. Well, now Google just said, oh, we'll take care of that. 
So mm. it opens up the, the doors to developers, and they've also incorporated – I know you probably know this too – people watch – other people play games. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a huge thing online. Yeah. So Google's incorporated that because, of course, Google owns YouTube. So uh, now there's this synthesis. It yeah, is like yeah. it's like a Mack truck. I mean, this is down I mean, the, the gaming highway. Yeah, the uh, the options have got to be just, I mean, endless in the dense, you know, the high definition and the the quality of the games. And it, this is like you know a whole new level in on steroids for the gaming world. So um, when you look at all of this and how wonderful it is, where's the price? What's going on there? That's an excellent question that Google did not address yesterday when they were talking yeah. about it. Yeah. And so they said, they said uh, well, it's coming out in 2019. We know we're going to hear more about it in the summer of 2019, which tells us it's probably not going to launch until the holiday season. And they, did not, they didn't talk about what the price is going to be. Is this going to be a subscription service where you pay one fee to Google and then you get access to a library of games? Or is this going to be a per-game service where you say, oh, that's the game I want to play. You pay a certain amount, and then you have access to it. Uh, it's also moving us to that, that realm that's so interesting where we no longer are consumers who own a copy of the media that we're accessing, right? right? right. We, own, we own a license to access that right. media. This, so that's really interesting. This really screams to me pay-per-view boxing matches. You know, I, I think they're going to be pricey, and I'm, I'm leaning towards per game. That's just a guess. Maybe there'll be a subscription series, but, uh, boy, I'll tell you, for those big gamers out there, I think they'd be willing to pay some good money if it delivers what they say it's going to do. So quickly, Jonathan, one more tech neat idea here, how tech generates electricity from snowfall. What? Yeah, this is a crazy story, too. Also crazy that it came out of the University of California, Los Angeles, you know, <laughs> snow capital of the world. Right. Uh, but, but no, the engineers came up with a way of using silicone and snow, and snow likes to give up electrons. And so it's essentially similar to static electricity. You have this silicone layer. Mm. The snow hits the silicone. The snow transfers electrons over. So you can actually harness that to do work. Now, it's, it's in its very early stages now. You wouldn't be able to, to power a house with this yet. But what you could do is create very thin silicone layers mm. that you could put on other stuff like shoes and use that right. to do things like uh, measure movement through a snowy landscape. So it's kind of an interesting proof of concept. I don't know that we're ever going to see anything where this is going to replace solar panels in snowy landscapes. But well, it's a fascinating use of yeah. physics. You never know. You just never know. All right. Great stuff. Jonathan Strickland, Tech Stuff Podcast. Check it out by downloading the iHeartRadio app. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Look forward to talking to you again soon. You're listening to Viewpoint Alabama, a public affairs program from the Alabama Radio Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
As human beings, our bodies break down. We get sick. Now, some illnesses are obvious, like a broken leg or the flu. Others don't show on the outside, but are just as real, and they show up on lab results, like CAT scans, like cancer or diabetes. Then there's the illnesses that are every bit as real and as serious as that broken bone or that cancer. I'm talking about mental illness. Many suffer in silence alone. Others reach out for help, but the cries go unanswered. This month is about helping those 60 million people who are affected. Hello, and welcome to Viewpoint Alabama. I'm John Mounts, and I'm talking today with Anna Noyes from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Anna, welcome to Viewpoint. Thank you. So... You've got an event coming up in Veterans Park in Alabaster next weekend, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But right now, let's talk about mental illness, because not many people realize just how many are affected by it. Why do you think that people don't realize how pervasive it is? I think because of the stigma around mental illness, people try to hide it or downplay it. What do you do with these people? A lot of them, they, they suffer in silence. What can we do for those people? Give them support resources. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that they need is to know that they're loved, they're supported, there's people out there that want to help them. So what kind of resources are are available? Obviously, individually, we can approach them. Well, let's back up. Because a lot of these people, it's not entirely obvious that there's that that they're suffering. How how do you know? Are there certain signs? You don't want to make an assumption that someone has a mental illness. Sure. Um, But just to show them support and say, hey, sharing a personal experience, I think that's the biggest icebreaker. In the National Alliance on Mental Illness, your, your organization, they reach out to, to people as well. They're, you're able to help. Uh, what sort of things is, is NAMI involved in? So we have um, support groups for families and friends of those that might have a mental illness. We have support groups for those who are suffering from mental illness. Um, and then, of course, we advocate for those. When you say advocate, you mean legislatively? Do you mean financially? How? Right, we, the state organization um, will go and speak with local legislators, and um, they'll even go to Washington. What sort of things uh, should we be, because we're all voters in the state of Alabama, what sort of things should we be talking with our legislators about in terms of funding? What kind of things need to be funded to help people? You know, a lot of times there are changes to Medicaid. That can be a real barrier to treatment, financial barriers. People don't have the financial resources in order to seek the help they need, or maybe they they think, well, this is going to be so expensive that I'll just, maybe I can deal with this alone. And a lot of times people can't. Does the state of Alabama do a good job, in your opinion, helping, helping people? Should they do more financially? I think progress has been made, that there's always room for improvement. One of the things I think is the most unfortunate uh, consequence, the most serious consequence of mental illness is uh, suicide. And I've always found it is a profoundly sad consequence of being human, and it's a uniquely human problem because animals get cancer, animals get a lot of things, but in the animal world, there's not suicide. It's a uniquely human thing that an unfortunate conclusion we come to where the only solution to a problem is this, and it's a very permanent and, and a very unfortunate solution. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that we as humans, we suffer and and people come to that to that end? I think that's a great question. I don't know that I have the answer to that question. And, and, maybe, I, no, and maybe nobody does, but I know in my life, I know many people who, I don't say many, but, but a few people who unfortunately picked that path. And 
I look back on the signs they exhibited, and there were signs there. Mm-hmm. And in every situation, I, I think what I could have done, what I should have done, and I didn't do it. You know, I, I said, well, this person, they, they, they seem upset all the time, or they seem frustrated. They, they seem like they want to be alone all the time. All these things that, looking back, and I was like, you know, I should have done something, and I didn't. And, and, and it hurts. It, it, it bothers me. What should people do who are in these situations? You said contact NAMI. Is there a, is there a path? For somebody who who is uh, they know some a loved one maybe who is struggling with the possibility of that that they should do certain steps they should follow they should reach out to the person you know a lot of times when someone's going through that they'll start to isolate themselves being there for that person is step number one then there's also a number of different suicide prevention places um, that would assess, assist as well. So Alabama Suicide Prevention Resource Coalition. A lot of these people don't, usually they don't say I either I'm not that bad, I don't need the help. How do you work around that when, when somebody kind of denies that there's a problem? Because you can't, it's not like in the movies where you put them in the car and you drive them there usually. You, you've got you've to kind of coax and, and convince. You cannot force someone to do something, but if it got to a point where you felt they were not safe around others or could hurt themselves, and you could contact you know, the local police. I'm John Mounts, and this is Viewpoint Alabama on the Alabama Radio Network, and I'm speaking with Anna Noyes. Anna, let's talk about how you became, why you became involved with NAMI. Um, so five or six years ago, I became my mom's um, primary caregiver. You know, when you're dealing with mental illness on the other side, whereas, you know, you might have to step in when they have a hospital visit or things like that is different than actually dealing with it in your own home. And so mom came to live with me and I had unrealistic expectations of what she could and cannot do because of her mental illness, um, which was causing me stress and causing her stress, not knowing Right. What, was it was the mental illness brought on by something else like dementia or something like that or just No, she she has struggled with schizophrenia since she was in her mid twenties. So this is something that, you know, she's dealt with all of her life and as a child, you know, I dealt with it as well, but my grandmother was also there, so she was that barrier. And so there are a lot of things that, you know, I was protected from. And you kind of grew up around it, so you probably almost didn't see it as as a problem. Right. When I was younger, I had an uncle, and he also was schizophrenic, and he he uh, believed that people were people were always listening to him all the time. He would when we go to his house, there were holes in the wall where he tried to dig things out of the wall that he believed were were bugs from the government, you know, listening to him. Uh, his his car it didn't have a radio in it because he thought the government was using the electronic stuff in his car to monitor him. So he, he took all that stuff out of everything. And I remember this growing up. And the, the thing was, I didn't find it to be unusual it, because as presented with it when you're a child, you don't think about it. You know, you just yeah. that's oh, your normal. That's normal. That's that. That's mm-hmm. my uncle. That's just how he is. And it, unfortunately, the long story short, uh, he ended up taking his own life. And that was very unfortunate because. All those signs were there, and we all kind of, oh, you know, that's just that's just him. You know, he's just he's, he's just kind of crazy like that. You know, he's he's eccentric. He's he's kind of, and no one really did anything to help. It was just kind of like that's just how he always has been, and we didn't try. And and it, to this day, it haunts me because I know something probably could have been done. All the signs that we talked about were there with with, with your mom um, dealing with with her. The things that you had to deal with. Did you? 
did you face any sort of situations where it was, you know, people would say, well, she's kind of, she's not right. And, and, and you kind of tried to hide it or you didn't, how, how did you deal with it as, as an adult? Um, the reality of it didn't set in until I was in high school. Um, you know, it was an incident where, you know, she did try to take her life and that's when I had to grow up pretty quickly. Right. And so having those hospital experiences and visiting her in the hospital and then that kind of started becoming a normal and then you go off and, you know, kind of separate yourself, start your own family and you deal with it, but from a distance, you know, she had has been under doctor's care and receiving counseling and going, you know, and doing those things for years. But anyone with a, a mental illness has cycles that they, they go through their highs and their lows. And so as they start, you know, going through another phase, you know, within that cycle, you start seeing, you know, looking back, right. I could, I can see, um, the changes and kind of red flags. Right. And that can be what's so insidious about it is because you'll have your good days and your bad days. And on the good days, you're like, well, there's nothing wrong here. Everything's, everything's totally normal. And then there's a break or, you know, you deal with somebody with like, say, a manic depressive thing and maybe they're, they're fine. And then they go through one of their manic things and wow, they're really in a good mood, almost too good of a mood. And then they're in, then they crash and wow, now, now what do we do? And it's mm-hmm. so back and forth. And until it's controlled with medication or something like that, we don't know because we're not trained. You're not a trained psychologist. I'm no. not a trained psychologist right. or psychiatrist to be able to diagnose and to actually to deal with these situations. If you do see that they're going through cycles, stepping in, calling the doctor or calling the counselor and just saying, hey, I know you can't talk to me about this, but I wanted to make you aware. And that, yeah. is, a, that is a trick, you know, because when you are in contact with the counselor because of HIPAA laws and, and, and privacy stuff, they can't really tell you much mm-hmm. because they're not supposed to. But at the same time, you feel like there's so much that you know that they don't because they, the counselor, as much as they're there in the counseling situation, they're, they're sitting there writing their stuff on their notepad. They don't know day in and day out. They don't know mm-hmm. the real side of it because they're dealing with somebody with a mental illness. And so the the version of events that they present might not be reality. And you wonder sometimes that that mental health professional, are they able to see through that? Are they able to hear what they say, filter it through? Okay, now that's their side, but I think there might be more here, maybe – Whatever it is that they're describing isn't the the real way the events unfolded, and there's something more that they need to address. You know, they they spend a very limited amount of time with their clients. And so, you know, when the counselors would come or mom would visit with the doctor, the mental health system is very overloaded. And so, you know, there have been times where I felt there's no way you could get a feel because, you know, you can easily fake the way you feel, but having someone with you that can, you know, kind of prompt different questions so they get a full picture, um, I think is important. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that other person, you mm-hmm. know, and, they isolate themselves. And another problem you run into is a lot of times these, especially uh, like things to be treated with drugs, but a lot of times the patient on the drug, they don't want to be on the drugs because oh, yeah. they, they don't really see that there's a problem. And they think the drugs, they make them feel sleepy or they make them feel hungry or any number of problems, side effects from the drugs. And so they won't want to take their drugs. Yeah. And then once again, you're back in the same position. You know, that's the thing about mental illness. Not only does it affect the person who is mentally ill, but those around them, the caretakers like you were. How did you deal with things like that? Because I imagine probably your mom, they probably put her on some medication and 
probably from time to time she wouldn't take it. What would you do? Unfortunately, that happens. And it may not just be because a medication makes them feel a certain way, but hey, I'm feeling great. I don't need this medication anymore. And it's so funny because <laughs> the idea of, yeah, because you're taking the medication, so you feel great. If you stop right. taking it, you're not going to feel, you're not better. It's just you're treated. Right. Um, and then your body changes, right? As you get older or things aren't quite working the way and medication has to be adjusted. Mm-hmm. Keeping in contact with the doctors, with the counselor and just making them aware of things that you're seeing. And there will come a point possibly that you have to say, okay, you know, loved one, mom, dad, whoever, I think we need to have a visit to the hospital. And then they can assess and make a decision on, you know, the next course of care. Well, Anna, I want to thank you so much for uh, spending some time. And I know it's difficult because we're talking about personal stuff, but I think your story is helpful for a lot of people who have dealt with a lot of the same things because you're not alone and they should know neither neither are they. And that's the reason why this event will be a great opportunity for them to be able to be around other people who deal with a lot of the same struggles. And I think there's strength being able to be around other people who deal with the same things and we can support one another. And we can also support our loved ones who are dealing with the mental illness. Yeah. And there are so many resources available that we're not aware of. You're there with like-minded people who, who want more information. May is Mental Health Month. And uh, if you're in around the Birmingham area next weekend, there's an event coming up in Veterans Park in Alabaster. Tell me more about the event. Sure. Um, we're going to have 40-plus different participants that will be coming. There will be, um, you know, Safe House, United Way, um, M4A, just a lot of different organizations that want to promote awareness for mental health. Alabaster School System and the Shelby County area school system will have a lot of volunteers out. They have been extremely supportive. Great, Anna. And I saw on the flyer, at least, that there's going to be a bounce house for the kids. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so tons of kids games and, and the bouncy houses. Yeah. And, and, and a DJ. So music's always good, right? Absolutely. Keep keep the uh, atmosphere up. So for more information on any of the things we've talked about today or for information about this event, visit their website, namishelby.com. And Anna Noyes, I'd like to thank you so much for being my guest today on Viewpoint. Thank you. I'm John Mounts, and this is the Alabama Radio Network. You've been listening to Viewpoint Alabama, a public affairs program from the Alabama Radio Network. The opinions expressed on Viewpoint Alabama are not necessarily those of the staff, management, or advertisers of this station. If you have any comments or questions about the program, please send an email to viewpointalabama at arnnet.com. You can also send a letter to the Alabama Radio Network, 600 Beacon Parkway West, Suite 400, Birmingham, Alabama, 35209. Thanks for listening, and please tune in next week for another Viewpoint Alabama from the Alabama Radio Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.